0: Well, this uh, morning we are going to conclude our eight-part series. We started this the week after Easter. We took one week off in the middle of the series to do a standalone message. But uh, we're finishing this series up. The series has been called The Grave Robber. And what this series is, is a look at the seven miracles of Jesus that are documented in the book of John the book of John documents seven of His miracles, and they're referred to as signs. These are signs that uh, He performed, miracles that He performed that were signs that pointed to the deity of Jesus, pointed to the fact that He was a, um, and He was and He is the Messiah. So today we're going to finish this. We've been, we've been leading up to... To this message, uh, the entire series is called The Grave Robber. And today's message is called The Grave Robber. We've seen Jesus as uh, uh, the winemaker. We've seen Jesus as a water walker. Last week was the eye opener, the multiplier. Uh, The the different things that he has done, uh, we've, we've seen those. But today we conclude with the grave robber. So we're going to read in John chapter 11. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John 11. And that's where we're going to find most of of what we're going to read. We're going to read one other portion of Scripture. But most of the time we're going to spend in John 11. I want to show you a picture of a man from Chicago by the name of Richard Sikorsky. This is Richard Sikorsky. We can show that picture uh, right now. Richard Sikorsky is from Chicago. He is 66. Uh, He's actually a little bit older now, uh, years of age. And as you can tell from the, the picture, he's a runner. He's a runner. He's been a runner for several years. In fact, he's run the Chicago Marathon more than a dozen times every year. He runs the Chicago Marathon. And in October 2015... Two years ago, less than two years ago, he he signed up to run it. He ran it again like he had uh, previously, the uh, previous uh, 12 or actually more than 12 uh, years before that. So 2015, he ran in October of 2015, he ran the Chicago Marathon again. But this time, things would be different. This race was different because this time, he wouldn't finish the race. He wouldn't finish the race because... He had a sudden cardiac arrest. Around the seventh mile, he had a sudden cardiac arrest. Sudden cardiac arrest is different from a heart attack. It's more serious. In fact, it's considered clinical death. Richard Sikorsky died that day, October 2015, on the course of the Chicago Marathon. But he's not dead today. Because there were two young women, both of them nurses that were running the race. They were behind them. One was right directly behind him. She saw him collapse. She ran up to him, immediately started doing CPR, started doing chest compressions. The other girl, young lady, was a little further back. When she came up, she saw a lot of people around him, and she stopped to see what was going on. She assisted. She did mouth to mouth. They were strangers to each other. They were strangers to Richard, but they stopped to help. In fact, let's show this next picture. Another runner took this picture of several people gathered around Richard before the paramedics arrived. And these two young women worked on him with no apparent results. In fact, when the paramedics, uh, paramedics arrived and, and they took over, Richard still had no pulse. The, the young ladies continued the race. And one of them later said that she prayed for him. She said, I prayed for him the rest of the race because when I left him, he was dead. Well, to make a long story short, thanks to these two nurses who started, who did the CPR, the paramedics later came in and they were able to revive him using the defibrillator. I practiced saying that and I still didn't get it right. And the next day, a cardiologist told Richard, so yesterday you had a cardiac arrest and you were dead. Then he emphasized, you were dead. The following year, a year later, October of last year, Richard Sikorsky ran the Chicago Marathon again. After a quintuple bypass surgery, he ran it a year later. This time he ran it with one of the nurses, the first nurse who stopped to do CPR. And as I read that story and as I saw the picture of of Richard and the nurse that ran with him the second time, I thought, what a difference a year makes. Well, today I want to talk to you about another man who was also dead and then got a new lease on life because Jesus brought him back to life. But this miracle was not simply a result of, and I shouldn't say simply, but this miracle was not a result of someone doing CPR or using a defibrillator. No, this was a a, a bigger miracle than that. This was not the case of someone being dead for 10 minutes before being brought back to life. This is the case of a man named Lazarus who was dead for four days before Jesus took authority over death and brought him back to life. But first, let me give you a little bit of background before we read this passage. Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, lived in Bethany, which is about two miles from Jerusalem. And... uh, the three of them were very good friends of Jesus. In fact, John eleven five 5 says that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. He had a very special relationship with them. But one day, Jesus got word from the sisters that their brother Lazarus was sick. In fact, the message was this, Lord, the one you love is sick. That's the message they sent to Jesus. So he got this message, the one you love is sick. So clearly they expected Him to drop everything and to head right to Bethany. But the Bible says that Jesus lingered for two more days before He and the disciples went to Bethany. By the time He arrived, Lazarus was dead. In fact, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Now there was a period of mourning. There would have been a period of mourning of seven days. So the sisters were still in mourning. The Bible says that many Jews had come to Mary and Martha's house to comfort them in the loss of their brother. This is important, by the way, that, that there were many Jews who were there, as we'll see later. So Jesus gets close to Bethany, gets close to their house. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she immediately got up and she went out to meet Jesus. And here's the conversation that Martha had with Jesus in John eleven twenty one. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at that last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Now notice the very first thing that Martha said to Jesus when she went out. It was like she had something to say to him because she didn't wait for him. Like I said, she didn't wait for him to get to her house. She went out to meet him and said to him, If you had been here... My brother would not have died. Now it sounds like she's blaming Jesus. I don't think she is, and we'll see that later. But what I want you to notice now is that we read a few verses later that Mary also eventually came out to see Jesus, and guess what she told Jesus? Well, let's read about it. Verse 28. Verse 28. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Now let me stop reading and say that these are the, the many Jews that had gone to comfort Her and her sister, and they all got out. They all got up, rather, and and went out to uh, to follow Mary. And this is also important. We'll see later why this is important. Now, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died." Same thing. Her sister had just told Jesus, "If you had been here, my brother would not have died." Now, that really isn't that unusual that they would both say the same thing because after all, they were sisters living in the same house. So they probably had said that to each other. If Jesus had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Now, I don't think there were so much blaming Jesus. Maybe there was a little bit of that. I don't know. But I don't think so much they were blaming Jesus for their brother's death because I think if they had been blaming him, they would have said, if you had gotten here sooner when we called you. That's not what they said. They just said, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. I think they were just expressing a reality. And the reality was is that the presence of Jesus makes all the difference. I think that's what they were saying. And that's a great truth for us today. That God's presence in our trials determines the outcome of those trials. God's presence in our trials determines the outcome of those trials. God's presence in our trials, it makes all the difference. Just like Jesus' presence would have made a difference. And in fact, it did eventually make a difference. Because Mary and Martha knew that having Jesus around would make a difference because Jesus is the difference maker. He was a difference maker back then. He's a difference maker now. They wanted Him around, especially in their time of need. Because they knew He makes a difference when He's here. There's peace. When He's here, things happen. When, when He's here, grief turns to, to joy. Sadness turns to laughter. Now, we, we don't have the physical presence of Jesus with us. But we do have the presence of His Holy Spirit. We don't need His physical presence. But we do need the presence of His Holy Spirit. When Jesus left this earth, He promised to send us the Holy Spirit To be with us every day of our lives. We sang about this just a while ago. He promised to give us His Holy Spirit. To be with us every day of our lives. But we must learn to seek His presence. We've got to learn to seek His presence. We understand what the sisters said. When they said. If if you had been here. It would have ended differently. If you had been here. It would have been different. If you had been here. He wouldn't have died. And that's true. That's true. That's probably why Jesus lingered, because Jesus had a goal. He had a plan in mind. So we understand that, and we've got to have the same passion that these sisters had when they told Jesus, we just wanted you here, because it would have made a difference. It would have been so different if you had been here. We've got to have the same passion for the presence of God in our lives today. And God's presence is something that we can have, but it's something that we need to seek. We seek God's presence. We find God's presence when we seek it. We find God when we seek God. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a very well-known verse among Christians. Many people like to quote it. I've seen this on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. I've just seen all over social media people post this, this verse, and it's a good verse. But I want us to read this in context. Jeremiah 29, 29 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And most people will just stop right there. That's what they quote. That's what they post. That's what they print out. That's what they say. God has plans to prosper me. God has plans to give me hope in the future. I receive that. I claim that. I believe that. And that's as far as they go. And that's true. But look at the context. Verse 12 says, then, the very next verse, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Verse 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So what God is saying is, I've got I've got these thoughts of you and these plans for you that I'm going to bless you. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to give you hope and a future. But you've got to seek me. See, a lot of times we say, oh, I, I love that verse. But we never seek Him. It's like, okay. I, 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 thank you, God. Yay. God's going to prosper me. I believe that. I'm going to quote that. But they ignore what God says. You will seek me and you will find me. So, God's presence is something we find by seeking Him, and and the blessings come as a result of that. So this morning, I'm asking you, are you seeking God? Are you seeking His presence daily? Do you have the same passion that these sisters did when when they told Jesus, if if you had been here... And I don't don't think they said it very casually. Well, you know, Jesus, if you had been here, (laughs) it would have been different. No, I think it was, God, Jesus, if you had been here... He wouldn't have died. We needed you here. We need you here. He's a difference maker. Are you seeking Him daily? Now Mary and Martha knew this. And that's why they immediately sent for Jesus when Lazarus became sick. But they didn't wait until they had a problem to seek Him. They had Him in their home on a regular basis. If you know the background, you know that Jesus would go to stay with them. He would spend time when, you know, he, he's traveling around with his disciples, and when he needed a place to stay, he would go to Bethany and stay with his friends. When he needed a time of, of quiet respite, he needed a time of relaxing, he'd go to Bethany. He needed to get away from the big city of Jerusalem. He'd go to Bethany and he would stay with his good friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So it's not like the sisters realize they had a problem and sent for Jesus and the rest of the time they're ignoring Jesus because if Jesus stayed there he would stay there at their invitation he wasn't going to just say well I'm here and whether you like it or not I'm going to stay here he was staying there at their invitation so the question is are you inviting Jesus daily or do you wait until you have a problem to call on him it's good to call on Jesus in your trials but it's better to call on him every day even before the trials come even before the problems come Because His presence makes a difference in our lives. Now I find it interesting here that Martha expressed in her conversation with Jesus, she expressed a conflict that we all go through. That is a tension between knowing what God can do and not always seeing it come to pass. Because she said to Him, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So it's like there's this tension, and we always live with those types of tensions. But she's saying, "If you had been, he wouldn't have died." Yes, I know that God answers prayer, and even now, God will give us what we ask. But as you had, but if you had been, he wouldn't have died. So it's like this tension. So Jesus says, "Look, your brother will rise again," because he knew what he was about to do. He knew why he had waited. Before making the trip to Bethany, after he got the news that Lazarus was sick. Your brother will rise again. But she didn't get it. She says, yes, I know he will rise again at the resurrection. On the last day in the future. And then Jesus says these powerful words to her. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and... And the life, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Then he asked the question, do you believe this? And Martha's answer was, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Now, this is the greatest truth we can hear. This is the greatest truth we can believe and live out, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But what does it mean? Well, first of all, for Him to say that He is a resurrection, we have to understand something. We have to understand that something has to die for a resurrection to take place. Something has to die for a resurrection to take place. We don't like to hear that, but it's true. In other words, Jesus gives life by overcoming death, but before there is a resurrection, there must be death. Jesus could have arrived in time to heal Lazarus. He could have healed Lazarus from afar. He could have just said, be healed. He did it in in, uh, the case of of the the father who, who came to Jesus for his son. He did it in other cases where he spoke from afar. But he wanted to show that he had power over death. So that's why when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, He told His disciples, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. This is why He told Martha later, Didn't I tell you, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So it's about bringing glory to God. But that's why the the worst thing that happens in your life Is not the end. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Something has to die for resurrection to take place. And when I say that. I'm talking about things that just seem final. There are things that you might be going through. That just you get to them and you're like. It's over. This is so final. This thing has died. This relationship has died. This situation. Whatever it is that you might be facing right now. That you have a sense of. It's over. It's over. This is so final. What has happened is just so final. That's what needs to happen before Jesus can come in and bring life to that situation. Because something has to die for a resurrection to take place. And By the way, this was not Jesus' first resurrection miracle. If you know the Gospels, you know that He raised a daughter of, of Jairus back to life. He raised the the son of the widow of Nain back to life. But they had only been dead a matter of hours. Lazarus had been dead for four days. But it didn't matter. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He has the power over death. So what needs resurrecting in your life? Could be your health. You might have gotten a A diagnosis that just seems so final. Seems so final like this is the way it is and uh, you can't do anything about it. We're going to have to treat this. Or maybe there's no more uh, recourse. Or maybe it's uh, a uh, a relationship that has ended that just seems so final. And you you think it's over. Well, Jesus is a resurrection and the life. He not only creates life. But He sustains life and He restores life. He brings dead things back to life and dead people back to life. So I love the the story of when Jesus brought Lazarus back to life. So let's read that. Verse 38. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, He said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. And I love the way the King James says this. But Lord, by this time, he stinketh. Great phrase there. He stinketh. Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that you or that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. The dead man, verse 44, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus robbed the grave. He robbed the grave. If He hadn't called Lazarus by name, He would have emptied the grave. Because that would have been a family grave. So there were probably other family members who had died that were also in that grave. So possibly that's why he said, Lazarus, come out. Hallelujah. Because by the way, the other two resurrections he had performed, the daughter of Jairus, uh, son of the widow of Nain, he didn't call them by name. So to the daughter of Jairus, he said to her, young lady, or no, he said to her, little girl, rise up. To the son of the widow of Nain, he said, Young man, rise up. But here he says, Lazarus, come out. A dramatic demonstration of the power of God over death. And here, here's what I was saying about the many Jews. Because there were many Jews who had gone to comfort them, and because they all got up and followed Mary out the door, they were all there to see this miracle. They all observed this miracle they saw this powerful demonstration of God's authority and power. This was for God's glory. This was done for the glory of God. That's why there were witnesses there to bring glory to God. Because miracles glorify God, but they bless us. They glorify God, but they bless us. And notice what Jesus said. The, the dead man, Lazarus, came out and like a mummy. He would have looked like a mummy. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen. His legs would not have been individually wrapped. They just didn't do that back then. So his legs would have been wrapped together. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen. Cloth around his face. How did he walk? Mark Batterson says in his book, He thinks he probably did the Lazarus hop. And he hopped out the, the grave. We don't know, but it must have been an amazing sight to see him come out of the grave. But notice what Jesus said to them: Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Because even after the miracle, we we have work to do. Even after the miracle, there are works of obedience that he calls us to. Whether it's a miracle of a new life, when God forgives sins to, to the woman who was caught in adultery, Jesus forgave her sins, then he said to her, Go and sin no more. Take off the grave clothes. There's work to do. There, there are works of obedience to the, to the man whose eyes were open. We talked about this last week. He, he gave him something to do. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. To the lame man by, by the pool of Bethesda, he told him, Pick up your mat and start walking. We have works of obedience to do even after the miracle. And so what God calls us to do is not just say, oh, God's going to bless me, prosper me. No, He wants us to seek Him. He wants us to follow Him. He wants us to obey Him. Because this brings glory to God. You know, I don't know how long Lazarus lived after he died. The scholars guess, their best guess is that he lived about 30 more years. However number of years it was, Jesus gave him a second life. And I want to tell you that the grave robber wants to do the same thing for you that he did for Lazarus. He wants to give you a second life. When you've reached some point in your life where you think this is final, the situation is final, he wants to give you a second life. You know, Jesus made a bold claim when he told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Then he asked her, do you believe this? And what may be the shortest profession of faith In all of scripture, Martha said, yes, Lord. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord. You see, Jesus didn't just die on a cross to make bad people good. He walked out of the tomb himself to bring dead people to life. The resurrection is what our faith is based on. And it's responding with a simple yes, like Martha did, That your life can be changed today. Your life can be changed today. One little yes can change your eternity. So I'm going to invite you today. I believe the grave robber is calling to you. And he's calling you out and he wants you to respond. He's saying to you, do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe that you need me in your life? And if you can say like Martha, yes, Lord then I think that'd be a great way to finish this series. And so I'm going to invite you to pray with me today. And in your prayer to say yes to God. God wants to resurrect your life. Maybe your life is in shambles. Maybe it's because of decisions you've made, or maybe it's because others have hurt you, but your life is in shambles, and you feel like you're reaching a dead end. He wants to give you a second chance. He wants to resurrect that situation. I heard a story recently of a pastor. A pastor. Who pastored a large church. And um, he had planted this church. It grew to several hundred. But he made a mistake. He made a mistake. And I heard this from him directly. He made a mistake. And... His mistake is he had an extramarital affair. When he was found out, he said, I wanted to die. I, want, I, I kept thinking, it's easier if my wife faces my death and if she faces what I've done. And he was at a point that he just thought, this is over. I don't see a way out of this. I've dug myself into this hole. I don't see a way out. And sometimes we find ourselves in those situations where we just don't see a way out. Now, thankfully, thankfully, he allowed God to forgive him and to restore him, to restore his marriage. And whatever situation you're in, if you will give that up to Jesus, if you'll say, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Messiah. I believe that you make a difference in in my life. If you'll say yes to Jesus, he'll resurrect that situation, whatever it might be. If you turn to him today, he'll call you out. If you turn to him today, he'll call you out of that grave of sin that you're living in. He'll call you out of that grave of depression that you might find yourself in. He'll call you out like he called Lazarus out. He'll call you out of that grave of pride, despair, whatever's keeping you from enjoying the life that God has for you. But you've got to turn to him. You've got to invite him. You've got to say yes to him. So I'm going to invite you to do that today. If you'd bow for prayer. Father, we thank you today for your goodness, and I thank you for your power, and I thank you for your greatness. I thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for this series that has allowed us to see clearly the power and the majesty of your Son, Jesus. Lord, today we, we confess that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And we confess that we have been living in the grave of our mistakes and the grave of our sins and the grave of our disappointments. And God, we're not able to get out of this grave by ourselves. But you're calling us out. Lord, I believe that you died on a cross, that we could come alive and we could have eternal lives, so we could have a second chance at life. So, God, today we pray that you would forgive our sins. Would you pray that right now? Would you ask God to forgive your sins? God is calling you out of that grave. God is calling you out of that grave of disappointment, of sin, of despair. Would you say, Lord, forgive my sins? Father, today we pray that you wouldn't just make what is bad in me good, but that you would take what is dead in me and bring it to life. Bring it to life. I say yes to you, Lord. Would you say yes to Jesus right now as we pray? Would you say yes to Jesus? Jesus is asking, do you believe? Haven't I told you that if you believe, if you believe, you would see the glory of God. Do you believe? Would you say yes to him? Father, today we surrender to you. I surrender my life. Today, I renew my commitment to you to live for you every day of my life, to seek you, to allow you to give me your resurrection life. I need your resurrection life. I need your resurrection life.